No matter where we are, no matter what's going on in our lives, we can run to Jesus. And that's what he's going to teach us today. So pray with me. Take this moment, just you and the Lord, and ask yourself, is there a reason I might need to run to Jesus today? Is there something I need that only he can give? Is there a hole that only he can fill? Is there a pain that only he can heal? A sin that only he can forgive? A guilt that only he can relieve? A relationship only he can restore? What do you need that only Jesus can give? Name that. Ask him to speak to you at that place through his word today. Father God, I thank you that what we sang is true. So grateful that all that we need, you can supply. That if we'll come to you, you'll come to us. That if we'll walk through the door that's open to every one of us, available to every one of us, we'll find you on the other side. And with you, we will find your peace, your strength, your healing, your joy, your presence, and your love. Teach us how to walk through that door today, I pray. Wherever I and we need to do that, I ask by the power of your Spirit, in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. So when Janet and I were uh, pastoring in Dallas, uh, I did the lawn work back in those days. Uh, people would ask why I wanted to do that, and I'd say, well, it's the one thing in my life I get to do that I can see I did something when I'm done, you know? rest of my day, I spent talking into the air and writing words and all that, but when you mow the grass, you can, you can see that you mow the grass. And so I was trimming the hedges out in front of the house. It had rained, I guess, the previous day, but that didn't bother me. Standing out there on wet grass using an electric hedge trimmer. And as I was trimming the hedges, I hit the electric cord with the hedge trimmer and lived to tell about it. That didn't bother me. I went and got another cord, kept on doing it, did it again. Killed two cords one day, standing on wet grass using an electric hedge trimmer, wearing out a legion of angels, right? Well, a good friend of mine, Brian Fant, lived right across the street from us. And I don't know if he saw that or I told him or whatever, my travails doing all this lawn work, but he sent me a story the next week, which I used in church and I found the other day in something I was looking at, and I thought I would share with you. So as the story goes, there's a pastor who's riding his bike around in the neighborhood, comes across a young fellow with a lawnmower like this for sale. Asks the fellow what he wants. Young man says, well, I need enough money to buy a bike. Pastor says, well, would you trade this bike for your lawnmower? Fellow looked over the pastor's bike and said, yeah, he'd do that deal. So the pastor swapped his bike for the lawnmower. Young man starts walking away with the bike, pastor with the lawnmower, and he thought, you know, I should probably try to start this thing. So he started pulling on the cord, and he couldn't get it to start. So he called to the young man, had him come back, and he said, this thing won't start. Young man said to the pastor, that's because you have to cuss to get it to start. The pastor said, well, I can't do that. I'm a minister. I've been a Christian for so long, I've forgotten how to cuss. The young boy said to the pastor, that's okay. Just keep pulling on that cord. It'll come back to you. <laughs> and for some reason, my friend thought I needed that story. I don't know why he thought I would need that story. Well, I could imagine that you probably have a lawnmower like that someplace in your life today, right? Probably someplace like that. 
Johann Sebastian Bach was on a concert tour. He came back to discover that his wife and two of his children had died. And he wrote in his journal, Dear Lord, let not my joy depart from me. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Joy is something God can give. Joy doesn't depend on circumstances. Happiness depends on happenings. There's a blessedness God will give those that are willing to receive it. So let me ask you, are you today experiencing the abundant life Christ said he came to give? The abundant life we're going to talk about today in John 10. Could you say with Paul, I'm more than conqueror through him who loved us? Could you say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? Would you say today that you have a peace that passes understanding to guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus? Could you say today that God has separated your sin as far as the east is from the west and buried in the depths of the deepest sea and remembers it no more? Could you say today that you are being his witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth? In other words, do you have all of God that God wants for you? Or are you settling for less? There's a door to abundant life available to you and me right now if we're willing to walk through it. So, we're looking at the I am's of Jesus in the Gospel of John. We come today to a third statement of Jesus, I am. goes back to the Old Testament, God saying of himself in Exodus 3, I am. Remember that at the burning bush? It's an audacious claim of Jesus to use the I am, the name of God himself, for Jesus. does it seven times. The third one says, I am the door of the sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, so to emphasize it, if he was a Baptist preacher, probably pound on the pulpit when he said this, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. I is emphatic. I alone. I am right now, present tense. Not a might be, not a will be, not a could be, not if you do this, I'll do that. I am the definite article. There is no other door of the sheep. Well, now that's a strange figure of speech, isn't it? A door of the sheep. But it wasn't strange in Jesus' day. Here's what a sheepfold looks like in the Middle East even today. And it's missing something, right? Well, here's how it worked. After the shepherd got the sheep inside the sheepfold, the shepherd lay across the opening and became the door of the sheep. He did that so the sheep couldn't get out and the thieves or the predators couldn't get in. Sheep are not smart animals. We're going to talk about this next week when Jesus says he's the good shepherd. We're likened to sheep more than any other animal in the Bible, and it's not a compliment. When last did you see a trick sheep in a circus? You know, we'll say more about that. We've talked about that in the past. But sheep would wander off, and if the door were ever left open, if it was some kind of a wooden door and it was ever left open, sheep are just going to wander out. And the wolves are going to get in, and the thieves are going to get in, and the predators and all of that. The only way the shepherd could be certain the sheep were safe was to be the door himself. And that's the metaphor Jesus means here when he says, I am the door of the sheep. Okay? Now he continues. He says, all who came before me, all who pretended to be the door of the sheep before me, are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the door. He says it again. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And here it is. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. 
The word translated abundantly means overflowingly, beyond all expectation, beyond anything you can imagine. That's what Jesus says, I came to give you. You. Life abundantly. That's what he came to give you. He'd do it all over again just for you. Just for you. So how do we get this life? That would be the question, right? Three steps we have to take. The first one is to decide that you want what only God can give. You don't walk through a door unless someone's got a gun to you, unless you want what's on the other side, right? Unless someone's making you do it, you walk through a door because you'd rather be there than here. You walk through a door because you want what's on the other side of the door. You don't walk through the door just for the fun of walking through a door. You walk through the door because you'd rather be on the other side than you would be on this side. If you're complacent where you are, if you're comfortable where you are, if you think you've got everything you need where you are, why will you walk through a door to get something you don't think you want? The first step is to decide that you need more than you have. It's how doors work. Here's maybe the most famous door in all the world. It's at the Church of the Nativity in Bethlehem, the oldest church in all of Christendom. What you see there is the plaza that you walk through to get there, and then see that little dot way up there in the corner? Oh, Mike, I don't know if I can do this without launching missiles. Let's see if I can. Uh, well, hmm. I'm getting it to work down here, but not up there. Does it sweep right? Ah, look at that. There we go. See that right there? That's what we're talking about. That's the door into the Church of the Nativity. And you think, well... No big deal, right? From that door inside, this is what you see. Massive cathedral structure, Greek Orthodox primarily, there's Catholic and Armenian as well, undergoing massive renovations, even as we speak right now. And then as you make your way to the front and around to the side, you go down these steps and you're in the grotto where tradition says Jesus was born. We know he was born in one of the caves. It's a whole cave system under there. We don't know specifically the place. He didn't carve his initials, anything like that. But there's a tradition that he was right there. And the opening you see over her shoulder there is how you get into the cave. And then you can't see it on the picture, but the other side is how you get out. That's the Church of the Nativity. Built by Constantine's mother back in 325 after he legalized the church. Torn down, rebuilt, mainly by the Crusaders, which you walk into today. But that door I was talking about, it's called the door of humility, and here's why. That's what you have to do to get in. Now, if you look above it over here, see if I can get this to work. See that arch right there? That's the Crusader-era arch right there. But during the Ottoman era, 16th, 17th century, people were pushing carts under that arch to come in and steal things from the church and from the people, put them on the carts, get them out. So they lowered the door so you couldn't do that. Now you have to do that to get in. It's called the door of humility. Now, the Muslim Ottoman authorities did that, but the Christian principle in that is you need to bow down to come into the presence of Christ, right? Come through that door. Well, that's the most famous door maybe in the world, certainly in the Christian world. But every door follows the same practice. Every single one does. You go through the door because you want what's on the other side, and it's worth what it takes to get there. Example. No mother in the world would choose the door of childbirth if there were another way to bring a child into the world, right? When I watch a Janet give birth to Ryan, I learned again that if men had babies, there would be no babies. The human race would end right there, right? 
I worked my way through college playing the trumpet for a living, such as the living was. I didn't love to practice, but I practiced because of what the practice would do on the other side of the practice, all right? Athletes do the same thing. Weightlifting, working out, exercise, diet, whatever it is. Actors, the same thing. Janet now watched Wheel of Fortune, and we think Vanna White's going to retire someday just so she can eat a cookie, you know? Just so she can eat a cookie, you know? So you, you do this in order to be able to do that, right? You go through the door for what's on the other side. A student studies a test not because they love studying for tests so much as they want what the test brings, the knowledge or the degree or the job or whatever it is. That's just how it works. Same thing true spiritually. If you're happy where you are, why would you walk through Jesus' door? If you're complacent, if you're satisfied, you're missing all that God has. If you're settling for this side of the door, you have no idea what you're missing on the other side. So the first thing you do, if you're going to walk through a door, is decide to walk through the door. Second thing you do is you choose the door, right? In this case, there's a wrong door and there's a right door. And Jesus wants you to choose the right door. He warns you, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. He's talking about Satan specifically, but he's also describing the world that Satan rules. The Bible says that Satan is the god of this age. Satan is the ruler of this fallen world. The reason the world looks like it does, operates like it does, is because Satan is alive and well on planet Earth, coming to steal and kill and destroy. If you choose that door, if you choose any door but the door of Jesus, where you'll wind up is not where you want to be. That's just how it works. You can only walk through one door at a time, right? You walk through the door back there to come into this chapel rather than walking through the door to your place here or wherever else you live or wherever else you're going. We can't, Jen, and I can't be here and be in North Dallas at the same time. I can't walk through the door of my house and the door of my office at the same time. It's a binary choice. Zero-sum game. You have to choose. If you choose any door but the door of Jesus, you're missing what Jesus alone can give. Walk through the door of materialism, and you may have some prosperity on the other side, but prosperity will steal your witness to get you there. Walk through the door of sexual sin, and there may be pleasure for a moment, but you're going to lose your character on the other side. Walk through the door of greed and materialism, but on the other side, you lose your integrity. What Satan gives you in exchange outweighs what you have to give up, or else he wouldn't do the deal. He hates you. He's your enemy. He's never going to offer you a deal that is to your good. Ever. He can't. His character won't let him. Just as God can never make a mistake, Satan can never do a good. So any good you think he's offering you, anything that's on the other side of his door that looks good at the time, I promise you, must, by definition, cost you more than what he's giving or he wouldn't offer it. If he's offering you what looks like temporal happiness, I promise you he hates doing that. He doesn't want you happy for only a moment, but he's doing it because he knows what it's going to cost you on the other side. And what it's going to cost you, you may not be able to get back. When I was in high school, our youth director told a story, kind of a dumb story about a worm salesman who sold worms for feathers. He had these worms, and he had this sign that said, worms for sale, and birds would come and swoop around and stop, and he would sell them a worm for a feather. If they would give him a feather, he would give them a worm. 
Not a true story, by the way. One day, this beautiful red robin saw this worm salesman pushing his cart along with the sign, and he said, you know, that looks good. That'd be easier than what I'm going to have to do to go dig for worms and go find something. I'm just going to go do this. So he plucked a little feather out, gave it to the salesman who gave him the worm, and he ate it and flew off. Next day, the salesman was there, did the deal again. Day after that, day after that, day after that. As the days went by, the robin began noticing he couldn't fly as high, couldn't fly as far, but by now he'd grown dependent on that worm salesman. And so the day came when he made his way down, plucked a tail feather, gave it to the salesman. The salesman gave him the worm. He ate the worm, tried to fly off, and he couldn't. He was grounded. So then he thought to himself, I know what I'll do. I'll go dig up more worms than he has sold me. I'll trade them in, and I'll get my feathers back. So the robin went off, and he got a cart, and he filled it full of worms, more worms than he'd ever eaten from that salesman. And he pushed the cart over to the salesman, and he said, these are more worms than you've ever sold me. I want to trade you these worms for my feathers. And the salesman said, no. I trade worms for feathers, not feathers for worms. That's how it works. So the third step is to step through Jesus' door, through his door. So what does that mean? Close with three facts very quickly. First of all, that's his statement. If you do that, you may have life and have it abundantly. So first of all, you receive abundant life when you receive Christ as Lord. If you have asked Jesus to forgive your sins and be your Lord, you are the child of God, and you already have access to his abundant life. Look at this verse, Ephesians 3.20. God is able to do far more abundantly, there's the same word, abundantly, than all we ask or think, and here's how, according to the power at work within us. The Holy Spirit's already living in you. You have all of God there is. question is, does He have all of you there is? That's the question. Nothing else you have to do to have abundant life. You have the Holy Spirit who gives abundant life living in you if you'll seek that life. Second fact, the abundant life does not depend on your circumstances. It's not happiness that depends on happenings. In fact, Jesus said in this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. It's Paul singing hymns at midnight in a Philippian jail. There's this early ancient tradition that when Nero would have Christians sacrificed in the Colosseum. He would go out at night, and where there were human remains of these Christians, and there was a face left, the face was smiling. And he couldn't understand why. That's just a story. But we do know this. Justin the martyr, his name was Justin. He was martyred. His last name wasn't martyr. What unfortunate last name, right? But he was martyred for his faith. One of the first offenders of the faith, one of the first apologists, wrote a letter to the Roman emperor. This is in the second century in which he made this statement, you can kill us, but you cannot harm us. The abundant life of Christ does not depend on your circumstances. So one last fact, if you're not experiencing the abundant life, something needs to change now. If you would say you're not experiencing the peace that passes understanding, if you would say you're not experiencing the joy of the Lord, 
If you would say you're not experiencing his leadership as you're facing decisions and challenges or his strength to face temptation. If you would say you're not experiencing the abundant life of Jesus. Something needs to change. As my pastor used to say, if you don't feel close to God, guess who moved? Something needs to change. So ask yourself, ask the Lord, Lord, what do I need to do to have the abundant life that you intend for me? And ask him to show you. There may be a sin to confess. It's blocking the Holy Spirit in your life. There may be a relationship to make right. Maybe somebody you need to take the initiative with, somebody you need to forgive, somebody from whom you need to seek forgiveness. Maybe an act of obedience that you've not yet offered the Lord, a step you've not yet taken. There's something. If you're not experiencing the abundant life of Christ, there's a next step. There's a stepping through the door. There's something Jesus offers you, no matter who you are, no matter where you are. Look at the text again. I bolded a few words. I am the door of these sheep, all the sheep, every sheep, not just the young sheep, not just the attractive sheep, not just the smarter sheep, although that wouldn't be hard. All the sheep, he says, if anyone enters by me. You say, but you don't know my past. No, anyone. You don't know what I'm facing. It says anyone. You don't know what I've done. It says anyone, doesn't it? If anyone He said, I came that they, you're in the they. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And they is you. And they, it's not good grammar, but they is me. I love this verse in Isaiah 30, 18. The Lord longs to be gracious to you, therefore he will rise up and show you compassion. God wants you to have his abundant life. God wants you to know his joy and his peace. God wants you to experience all that Jesus died to give you. He wants that for you, but he won't force it on you. He honors the free will he's given you. He won't make you take his gift. You have to unwrap the package. And that's the privilege you and I get to experience every single day. But let me urge you to walk through the door today, okay? Because tomorrow is not promised to any of us. I know you've been following this story last end of the week on the movie set for a Western called Rust. Alec Baldwin firing what he thought was a prop gun. They killed one of the people working on the set, injured another. In this morning's news, the sister of the deceased spoken out for the first time, talking about the enormous grief their family's going through. A husband and a nine-year-old son left. It was an accident from everything they can tell. Could happen to anybody, they said, and that's kind of the point. Friday afternoon, as I was writing this sermon, news broke that actor Peter Scolari had passed away. I'm old enough to remember Bosom Buddies with Tom Hanks and Peter Scolari back in the early 80s. Emmy Award-winning actor. I had no idea he was sick. He'd been wrestling with cancer for two years. Passed away Friday at the age of 66. I'm 63. You only have today, but the good news is you have today. I'll close with this. Last week I reread a classic book by Oscar Thompson, an old evangelist and professor at Southwestern Seminary called Concentric Circles of Concern. 
Dr. Thompson died of cancer shortly after I arrived at the seminary in 1980. I've spoken of him in the past, the courage he had in the midst of that, the joy he had to the very end, and how people would ask him, well, how can you have such a joy in the face of this? Aren't you afraid to die? Aren't you afraid of what's going to happen at death? And he said, no, I'll have dying grace for a dying day. And he told his friends when he died, reported, I have dying grace for a dying day. I've told that story. But reading his book, saw something else that really struck me. When he was first diagnosed with this cancer that eventually took his life, was hospitalized, initially told he'd only have weeks to live, bone cancer. Initially told he'd only have weeks to live, and it turned out he was able to go into remission, and it was some years, but he knew across all of that it would come back, that it was terminal. It was when he first discovered the severity of his disease that Dr. Thompson writes, he discovered it's not how long I live, but how I live. It's not how long I live, but how I live. How will you live is the question. So let's pray. Take a moment and in this moment, know that Jesus came that you might have life abundantly. If you're experiencing that life, if you would say that you're experiencing the joy of the Lord and the overflowing life of Jesus, then let's celebrate that fact today. Let's celebrate the fact that this morning you walked through that door to get alone with Jesus. That this morning you got alone with Him in His Word and prayer and Bible study and you reconnected your life with Him and you surrendered your life to His Holy Spirit today and you received the abundant life for today that Jesus offered to you. We're celebrating that fact. If that isn't really true for you today, if you didn't walk through Jesus' door yet, if you haven't done that yet today, if you haven't consciously, intentionally walked through his door and knelt before him in worship and read his word and surrendered to his spirit and asked his forgiveness for your sins and ask him to cleanse you and connect you and empower you and give you his abundant life, we're going to take a moment right now and ask you to do that. Walk through his door right now. Walk through the door to the sheepfold where the shepherd's waiting right now. Surrender your life to him. Ask him for his love, his joy, his peace. Ask him for his abundant life. Ask him to show you anything you need to give up in exchange for that life. Anything you need to do or stop doing. Anything that's keeping your hands from being free to receive his abundance. Then set it down to receive God's best. And now decide to live that way every day. Lord Jesus, thank you for the abundance available to me and us. The promise offered to us 20 centuries after you first offered it, it's still good. Thank you. May we walk through that door this day and every day. I know our lives will never be the same and our world will never be the same. And we thank you for that fact in Jesus' name. Amen. So good to be with you today. Have a great week. God bless.